Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. I took a little break from publishing new episodes for the month of December, and I'm so excited to be back. Now, if you missed it, Leather Talk did publish new bonus episodes to the Patreon page each week during the month of December. So if you aren't on Patreon, or you are and haven't gone there in a while, make sure to go back and take a look. Patreon members who support the podcast $3 or more have early access to episodes as well as exclusive access to bonus material. Well, we have some great guests coming up on the show this year who have poured out their hearts and shared their stories, and I can't wait for you to hear them. Our next guest holds the title of Mr. Leather Ottawa 2008 and is the former president and active member of the Ottawa Knights. He's a leatherman, an advocate for accessibility, and an all-around kingster. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. everybody this is brandon your mr bullet leather 2020 and yes we have new refreshed music all thanks to foxy and fugue and we will talk more with them later on this season about that Uh, but today i wanted to introduce you to my friend richard hubley hi richard hello would you mind introducing yourself please my name is richard hubley i am mr leather ottawa 2008 uh I, my gender identity is male, he, and him. Uh, sexual orientation is gay, cis male leatherman who happens to be a wheelchair user. But of course, during this pandemic, it's border lighting on desperation, and even the crack of dawn is looking inviting. <laughs> and uh, how long have you been in the community, would you say? I've been in the community for 35 years. Uh, I am currently the vice president of the Ottawa Knights. I've been with them for 33 years, and we are celebrating our 45th year in the community wow. here. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about the Ottawa Knights, because I, I, that's an organization I've not heard of before. But before mm-hmm. we get into all of like the ins and outs of, of leather for you, um, I always like to start off with sort of like an origin story. I, like where did you come from where where what's your life story like let's start from the beginning when when would you discover for yourself that you were gay or when did you have like an inkling that you were gay well when i was younger i knew i was different from everyone else for the longest time and uh, i loved going to the smoke shop and looking at the mail magazines and stuff like this so what what, do you, what is the smoke shop Okay, hold on. first of all, where where were you exactly, or did you grow up in Canada, or do you just live there now? Yes, I I am I am Canadian, born and raised. Okay, so there might be some things that are a little bit different in Canada than they are here. When I'm thinking of a smoke shop, I'm literally thinking of like people are buying like bongs and cigars and cigarettes and lighters and stuff. What what's a smoke shop like over there? In Canada, a smoke shop is like a small convenience store but sells cigarettes magazines uh 
etc. So, so these magazines that that you were looking at were they like uh, just? I mean, were they pornography or were they? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I looked at the Sports Illustrated, which was not pornography at all by any means. <laughs> Has have people told you a, a title holder should not lie, Brandon? <laughs> Well, we can get into that Sports Illustrated story later, but we're okay. not focusing on you. <laughs> so interesting. How old were you at that time? Um, I was fairly tall for my age, mm-hmm. so. Uh, like double digits? I, yes, okay. I was in my teens. So. Okay, okay, okay. And did you have any relationships when you were, you know, that age, a, a boyfriend of any sort? No. Okay. No. So, Ben, when did you kind of come to terms with it for yourself? I know a lot of us have like this kind of journey. I myself didn't accept, you know, my own homosexuality for a long time. When did you, like, what was that moment like when you looked at yourself in the mirror and you're like, okay, this is just me? Um, the exact date and time, I don't remember. That's all dirty water under the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the... It's it's hard to say. My my mother had an inkling uh, of my sexuality uh, because, unbeknownst to me, the owner of the smoke shop happened to be a good friend of uh, with uh, my mom's friend Martin, who was gay, uh-huh. and uh, they were talking. <laughs> yeah, parents talk. <laughs> <laughs> so unlike unlike a lot of people. I didn't have to sit down and tell my mother that I was gay. I had to just confirm mm. her suspicions. So, so did she come to you with that question, or did you come to her? Um, she came to me after a while. Okay. And what was her reaction when you confirmed that for her? Okay. That was it, huh? That was it. Wow. You know, my my brother is more of a uh had a more of an issue with it because uh he's military and male chauvinist and a whole bunch of other isms uh but my sister thinks it's great because uh she calls me mr sister Uh, (laughs) and my mother also being in a wheelchair she was born with spina bifida and she was told she wouldn't have any kids and she had three and she always liked to say one of each and i told keep telling her no you needed a lesbian to complete the set so we adopted <laughs> we adopted my sister kim <laughs> i mean at this point if she really wanted the whole rainbow she would need like 30 kids so <laughs> well just yes but back then it was just the four right right exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. i know what you mean um, but, but yeah, uh, that's really interesting. So, I mean, what a, what a gift to have like a mother that kind of appreciates you for just being different. Well, yes. Uh, you are fairly young, but have you ever seen the show Queers Folk? Oh my gosh. Yes. I've seen it about four times through. It was life changing for mm-hmm. me. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the American one. I've gotten a, yes. a little spat yes. with this one, I, <laughs> but the, I have, yeah, I have. <laughs> I have seen the British one, but it was the American one. But you know the characters in it then. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, as as old of a show as it was, even when I was, that's what was available to me. And that's what exposed Mm -hmm. me to, like, the gay world. 
Um, but anyways, go on with your point. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Uh, Debbie, the quintessential plea flag mother. Mm -hmm. Put her in a wheelchair. That's my mother. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I love your mom. We oh, should yeah. go out for mimosas. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she passed a year ago. Mm. And, and what about uh, your father? Is he in the picture? He passed quite a few years ago and my mom had remarried and he's also passed i see mm. okay. well i'm sorry to, to hear that but it sounds like you you know your mom really kind of took you in her arms and that's really i'm really happy to hear that oh, yeah. um, so that must have made life a little bit a little weight off your shoulders when that whole thing came to fruition and you realized that you weren't going to be judged for that oh yes so have you had a partner or a, a boyfriend of sorts? Oh, yes. Over the times, I've had four long-term relationships. Okay. Okay. And, I mean, we know that you are um, kinky, which we're going to get into later, but are, were any of those relationships, you know, quote-unquote kinky or, or leather by any means? Yes, with my leather family, which I'm still in now. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's go ahead and dive into that a little bit. So your leather family, is that like a, a polyamorous relationship that you have going on? What, what's the dynamic there? Well, there is sex sometimes involved, but it's they're based in Toronto. Um, okay. And a lot of them now are having medical issues. So we don't, mm -hmm. and of course, with the pandemic, we don't get to see each other a lot. So it's not as fulfilling as it used to be, but we still care for each other quite a bit and hopefully this will be over shortly. I hope so. I hope so. So how many people are involved in this dynamic that you have going on? There were five, but unfortunately one passed due to leukemia. He was the head mm. of the family. So, so there's, uh, there's my brother, Frank and the two mm -hmm. boys now who are there in Toronto One's having medical issues, and uh, the other one lives just outside Toronto. Connor. I see. Mm -hmm. So, how long have you been in this relationship with each other? And I mean, what, what, what is it like? How did you how did you get into it in the first place? Well, through the uh, the leather group in Toronto is, is called the Spearhead uh, okay. is leather group, and they had a uh, summer runs during the summer that the Ottawa Knights would go to. And I always saw this one sir sitting by the fireplace doing his chain mail and it looked fascinating. So we started talking and one thing led to another and all of a sudden the Vajra leather family was born. And So do you have like a house name? Yes, it, the Vajra. Oh, the Vajra, yeah. okay, okay, he, okay. Uh, sir Mark was Tibetan. He was a Buddhist, so he, yeah. That is really awesome. So what were some of the, what are some of the, the characteristics uh, or priorities that you hold high in, in your house? Love, respect, mentoring, learning, discipline. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, yeah, I talked to, and you're, you're an active listener of the show, so you, mm -hmm. you've heard, I'm sure, uh, Queen Anna Algos come on the show and she sort of talked about how every house kind of has its own priorities of virtues and characteristics that they, they hold to a high priority. And for some, it's might be education for others, it's honor or respect or whatever, 
it may be. So um, it's just really interesting to hear that. So do you have a physical relationship for, with every single person in that circle or just with a few or just with one? Uh, a lot are, is like brotherly love and stuff like that. It's again, mm -hmm. we're all aging and stuff like this. So the dynamic has shifted slightly over the years. So to no fault of our own. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Don't grow old, Brandon. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to. <laughs> no, we're all going to get old. But, you know, I, th I think that's really awesome that you have, like, this whole dynamic going on, even in your your young age of 35. In dog years, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so were, did your family and friends know of this kind of relationship that you were involved in? Oh, yes. And what did they think about this sort of non-traditional setup for you? My sister knows that I'm loved and cared for and, you know, so they're happy for me and my mother was very happy for me. So it seems like they're pretty accepting of all aspects of you. Oh, yes. That's wonderful. All right. So let's talk about your origins of leather and kink. I mean, I feel like I don't know if anyone really comes out of the womb knowing that they're kinky. I mean, there had to have been like a moment in time where you're like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Do you remember your first experience with kink or leather? Oh, uh, it was a bar that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. It was called 166B. That was the address of the bar here in Ottawa. And it was the Ottawa Nights bar night and loved it when I went in and saw all the guys in their leather denim because back then it was a leather denim club. Okay. It was really good. <laughs> so describe to us, what does a leather denim club look like? I mean, are there like, are there go-go dancers? Is there flogging stations? Is it just like a dive bar? A uh, dive bar, bar in the corner, tables, pool tables. And uh, that's basically it. Back then, mm -hmm. it was on the second floor. Okay, okay. Above a restaurant. How interesting! Did you have to walk through the restaurant mm -hmm. and like all of your gear? No, it, there was a there was an external staircase. Okay, I could just imagine people eating fine dining and all these leathermen walking in <laughs> out of this restaurant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, now for your dining pleasure, something completely different. <laughs> right. <laughs> So when you went in there, I mean, did you go with a friend or you just kind of went in there on your own? Uh, I knew some of my friends were members of the Ottawa Knights, so I went with them because it was their bar night. Okay. So. Okay. So, I, and I always like to ask this question in, in some capacity is, um, I guess it's sort of a what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of question, but what came first for you? The appeal to leather, like as an aesthetic or an, an appeal to kink? as like a sexual exploration or were they kind of around the same time? Well, the first actually was my love of motorcycles mm. and my first piece of leather was a leather jacket. And how did you get that jacket? You bought it yourself or yes. someone gave it to you? No, I okay. bought it myself. It was cheaper than a motorcycle. <laughs> Those jackets could be expensive though. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> So was this a part of like a biker group or you were just doing this on your own? Uh, I was doing it on my own because it was uh, an economical means of transportation at the time. Hmm. All right. And and when you put on that jacket, did you immediately feel like, oh, this is this is something or or was it just kind of for utility? The the feel of the leather, the weight of the jacket, I felt very sexy and very powerful in it. And do you still have that jacket today? No. 
I wore that out and uh, it was dead in the motorcycle uh, accident. Well, since you mentioned it, why, why don't we talk about that? Because um, you do use a wheelchair currently, you mentioned at the beginning. Correct. I am a para, I'm a paraplegic. So your 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 mother was actually born having to to use a wheelchair. Is that right? Uh, she was born with spina bifida, and it degenerated. And with all the orthopedic surgery she had mm. to make her walk better, she's been she was in a wheelchair for forty seven years. Wow. Wow. So. So, but you were not born with any kind of spina bifida or anything like that. No, I am a I am a carrier for it. There's a one in six chance of someone being born with spina bifida, mostly girls, but boys can also have it. And because it runs in our family, we have a one in four chance of passing it on to our children. Wow. So did you, I mean, growing up and, you know, seeing your mother using a wheelchair, did you ever think that you would be using a wheelchair yourself? No, and neither did my psychologist in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. To the point he thought something was wrong because I accepted the wheelchair too easily. I didn't tell them to hmm. shove it or anything like this. It was so they gave me a 500 question psych test and I was bored enough in the hospital to count how many different ways they asked the same question. 37 different times they asked me if I've ever thought about committing suicide. Wow. And I said, not until I taken this damn test. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother happened to be in the room when Dr. Watson, I still remember his name, this was 1984. And I introduced him to my mother this way. I said, Dr. Asshole, I'd like you to meet my mother. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I said, you didn't ask. You assumed there was a problem. I said, I've been living around, I've, I've been around wheelchairs all my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so this was not a, like a scary thing for you. Um, I mean, no, you know, it was this. It was disappointing because I mm-hmm. wanted to go into the healthcare field to become a nurse. And my friends basically told me, "Well, with all the things you've done, Richard, sit down. It's time for you to be waited on." You like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how how long ago was this? accident if you don't mind me asking 1984 oh 1984 that's right you just said that um and how did this was this a motorcycle incident hit and run wow i can describe the vehicle i can describe the woman i just never got the uh license plate number so i mean if it's if it's too much for you you don't have to but i wonder if you could just maybe give us a visual of what exactly happened i mean what do you remember uh i was going through a green light and someone ran a red i don't know if she even saw me but she or the light but she just went went through it and knocked me for a loop literally and were you conscious the whole time not all of it no Mm -hmm. but uh the uh police officer was asking if I got it. I said, no, got the license plate number. I said, no, busy. Tumble, tumble, tumble. (laughs) Yeah, what are you supposed to do? (laughs) Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Grab your binoculars while you're tumbling across? And that person didn't even stop. Well, no. Did I mean, to your knowledge, did that person ever get caught? No. Wow. So, I mean, did you get any kind of 
I guess I don't know the healthcare situation in Canada, but did you get any kind of like settlement or anything from the government to, to, I mean, this clearly was not your fault. Correct. And no, there was no insurance claim or anything like that. So. Well, and it just goes to show you like one person's mistake can change your life forever. I mean, that was just, I'm, I'm sure a split second, all she had to do was look up and see that there was a red light and put her foot on the brake. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm just glad there wasn't anyone in the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. I had protective gear on. They don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, leather for you, its inception was prior to that injury. Has the meaning of leather changed for you at all? I mean, were you wearing your leather jacket during that accident? Yes, that's the one that got destroyed. Wow. So let's go forward to today. You do use a wheelchair now, and you are, I guess, full-fledged into the leather community, from what I can see. Yes. So how did you get involved with the leather community at that point? Did you face any challenges, or was it fairly simple for you? I mean, how, how did you get out there? Again, being friends with some of the Knights, Ottawa Knights, uh, I knew a lot of them. So when I decided to join the club, it was fairly easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, They knew my situation. And like our home bar before it closed was up up on the second floor. So I'd bump up the stairs and they'd carry my chair up. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so awesome. It it seems like you, you just didn't let this hold you back. Uh, no, I've, I've dusted the floor with my butt many times to go after a man. So <laughs> Richard, you crack me up. <laughs> so, I mean, again, any questions that I ask, if they're, if they're inappropriate in any way, please let me know. But I just, I guess I'm just curious what a lot of the things that, you know, I do or what other people do in the bar look any different for you or if you've had to kind of maneuver around in different ways is you know how do you go about cruising in a leather space like that when when you you know are not able to walk around well some of the spaces are quite awkward depending Mm -hmm. on the way the tables are set up the way the layout of it is people stopping dead in, in like clusters of people when it gets crowded and people can't get from one end of the bar to the other when they're able-bodied, let alone me. So a lot of the times during our bar nights, I sit at one place close to the door during our bar nights when before the pandemic. And I would see everyone as they came in and they were able to, I was able to see everyone, greet everyone and give them the hugs that I desperately want now. <laughs> yeah, we all want human touch at this point. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is you kind of just like set up shop somewhere and you weren't, you decided to not kind of maneuver around the bars as one would. Correct. Just because uh, a lot of the times our bar night was one of the most well-attended bar nights. So some of my club brothers were having trouble getting around collecting all the bottles and stuff. So Now I'm curious if... Have you have you thought about talking to like the, the bar owner or, or people who organize the events to make it more accessible for you and others like you? Our home bar now, they actually have an aluminum ramp they put out. Oh, there, wow. It's only five steps. It's not a it's in an old Victorian home style building and it's the main floor. It's a multi purpose. It's nice enough that a wheelchair 
both a power chair and a manual chair can use it, but they also use it for their rear. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's really awesome. So like us, we're multi-purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I guess for a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people have even considered the idea of sec sex accessibility within the leather community as much as they should or could rather. Are there any ways, you know, let's say there's leather bar owners right now listening to your voice all over the world, hopefully. <laughs> uh, what would be your message to them? I mean, what are some ways that we can make these spaces more accessible to people? Uh, that's a very difficult question. And it's not because of they don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of it has to do with uh, the building code and whether or not they're in a historical district or mm -hmm. things like this. And the bottom line is it comes down to money. Retrofitting the front of a building is very expensive, even here in Canada. I see. So I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but uh, a lot of the bars try to find things that they can afford. Not the best spaces, but it's what they can get for the money they have. So I understand why they're not making some some changes. Yeah. I see. Uh, when I when I can, I'll make suggestions and stuff. One of the agencies that I used to uh, volunteer at was for the Barrier Free Environment Committee here in Ottawa, and we did accessibility audits. And it was for both physically disabled, hearing impaired, blind uh, individuals, and mm -hmm. we would churches, businesses, and conferences would contact us to see if spaces were accessible enough to, for them to hold their events or to modify their buildings. That's really awesome. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you say, you know, I understand there's more obstacles that bar owners have to face than just deciding whether or not to make it accessible. Mm -hmm. There's permits, there's building restrictions, yeah. there's all of these things. My father actually has his own construction business. And uh, I remember back in the day, we built these apartments and we got the permits for it and everything. I was like 15 and I hated manual labor outside, especially during the summer. But he would take me to work with him. And the permit guy comes and he's inspecting everything. And he goes, you know, your building is two feet too close to the sidewalk. And my father goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir you know what, I'll get right on that. Let me go get a bulldozer, bulldoze down the apartments that we just built and I'll move it two feet back for you. <laughs> he just looks at him, signs the paper and says, all right, have a nice day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, so, I, you know, I hate to stereotype, but every inspector that I met has always been an asshole. <laughs> yes, but they're a professional asshole. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, someone has to do the job. <laughs> yes. Some people just like to overachieve than others. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about some of your leather experiences. We already talked about your first piece of leather, and I, I'm assuming you have other pieces of leather now. What is your current favorite piece of leather and why? Uh, that would be my club vest hmm. for the Ottawa Knights. Here in Ottawa, it's recognizable. It gives me a sense of belonging, brotherhood, camaraderie. I see. So we kind of touched on this a little bit over your accident until now, but has the meaning of leather changed for you since you first started wearing leather up until today? I mean, you, you mentioned brotherhood, for one. Mm -hmm. um, no, not, ac not 
necessarily I find that after the accident, people found me more approachable for some reason. Hmm. Being a little tall, I guess that they found me intimidating. So I'm just the, the cute ginger in the chair. <laughs> 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 just don't make me angry or I might snap. <laughs> so you've been involved for a long time now. And I'm curious if you notice any any differences, any stark contrasts within the, the leather scene from when you first became involved to today. Yes, that would be the little thing called the internet. Mm. Okay. Um, it is uh, a tool that people use and abuse. It's great as a tool to get information, but when you're going to events and stuff and you start talking to people of your experiences and how you deal with things and they go, oh, I know what you're talking about. I've been a submissive online for six months and I'm going, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not the same. (laughs) No, not at all. Are there any other differences that come to mind? Not, not really, no. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to what, what you said about the internet, that's definitely one of the biggest ones. I think a lot of, I guess, quote unquote, old guard people uh, will bring up is like the phones, the phones in the bar and the, the internet and grinder and all of that stuff. Um, you know, and it's interesting because in my experience, I mean, that was my only experience. Really, I'm mean, not my only experience, but like primarily that's how millennials and, and Gen Zers, like that's how we interact with the world. And it, it, it's so different. I, I mean, I didn't have a phone until I was like maybe 16 or 17 years old. So I did spend a good portion of my youth without a cell phone, but we had MySpace, yeah. we had Facebook, we had, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers Friendster and Zanga. <laughs> like, you know, we kind of grew up around the internet and it, it is a different, you know, uh, a lot of times we'll reach out to each other on recon first and meet up at the bar in real life later. Yeah. Well, I my biggest disability was not being on Facebook. I only been on Facebook for seven years now. Mm-hmm. So, but getting back to the phone issue and the disability background, a lot of my, the people I know are also starting to lose their hearing. Hmm. So... The noise, you know, they can't hear phone conversations if someone does phone them. So a quick text saying I'm on my way there, you know, or I'm downstairs waiting in line. If like if we're, I'm in Toronto, there's always a lineup at the Black Eagle. So so in some ways it has made life easier. It, it, it does. Again, the phone is a tool. Right. It can be used and it can be abused. Mm-hmm. Just like other body parts. Yeah. Yeah. I volunteered for tribute. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say something. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, let's talk about your leather title. What is is your leather title that you hold? Mr. Leather Ottawa 2008. 2008. So, when did you decide to run? Was this like a, a spur of the moment thing? Like, what was the reasoning for you? Actually, no. Our club had a draw every year. We got 10% of our bar proceeds for the sales. We'd collect into a pot and we'd send someone who'd never been to IML to IML there to help support our title holder. Hmm. Because we, the Ottawa Knights put on, and their community here in Ottawa, put on 
the uh, Mr. Leather Ottawa weekend. Now the Leather Weekend, because we now have a pup boot black and Mr. Leather competition. So oh, that's awesome. So I happened to be an attendee at IML 29 and there happened to be a contestant there who was an Iraq war vet who was a single leg amputee. He made top 20 and with his speech and stuff, he actually inspired me to run for my title. Wow. And when I was competing at IML the following year, uh, he and his boy came up to me to introduce himself, uh, and I stopped him and said, I know exactly who you are, and explained what happened the year before, and then showed him the number I drew, because mm-hmm. he was contestant 33, and I drew the same number. Oh my god. <laughs> That gives me chills. <laughs> wow. Yes. Uh, his nickname was Captain Kirk. <laughs> wow. How incredible. That must have been so, like, such a confirmation for you that you were right in the place that you needed to be at that time when you drew that number. Correct. Gosh. Wow. 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 That is so powerful that you say that, you know, just seeing him up on that stage gave you the inspiration to go forward with your own title. Yes, because in for years I've been in the background at events, uh, in the positions of treasurer, secretary, uh, event coordinator for this, that, and the other thing for registration, for example, for, for our event. And so I'm always in the background. Mm-hmm. And after seeing him, I'm going, well, why (laughs) (laughs) if you can i can well well basic basically but i never thought you always see the quintessential leather person as the tom of finland type person Mm -hmm. and i never felt like that because i wasn't thin i wasn't muscular i wasn't you know nothing like that but i decided to do it and did it for no one else but me i am smaller than i used to be I dropped 130 pounds over a year period and decided to do it. Surprised a lot of people. There was a person in the Ottawa community thought he knew everything about leather and stuff like that. And they happened to introduce me last and uh, as a contestant. He goes, Richard, I didn't know what you were running. I went, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel when you won that title? Um shocked and in disbelief there were five of us on stage they announced the second runner up and the first runner up and i'm looking at the other two people clapping going okay which you two bitches won and (laughs) damn (laughs) (laughs) i mean it must have been you must have been i mean i i only remember how i was when afterwards i felt the same way i was like what the fuck really Mm -hmm. (laughs) little little gamey but uh, afterwards, did you have any kind of mission or platform in mind? Had you, you know, won or? No, the only prerequisite for our title is that you represent Ottawa at the different prides in Montreal and Toronto, hmm. and you go to IML. Now it's not a prerequisite. You can opt out of going to IML if you so desire. But it's not a prerequisite of going to IML, but I wanted to go to IML. 
So you went on this whole leather journey across Canada and to the United States. Basically, and uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's, mm-hmm. I've learned and met so many people. People look at my Facebook page and say, you can't know all those people. I go, yes, I can. <laughs> Being a contestant handler at IML helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, out of all the people that you met, are there any that particularly stand out to you that you look up to or, or are fairly memorable? Here in Ottawa, there are a few people that I've looked up to and they've mentored me over the years. Mm-hmm. One went on to be a judge at IML a few years back. Uh, he's still involved in the club, uh, mm-hmm. so it's. Did you? It's, na- I don't know if you named him. Do you want to say his name? His name's Murray Levine. Sorry, my uh, train of thought derailed. There were no survivors. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, before your your brain goes off track again, mm-hmm. are there any other names that could stick out to you? Well, a lot of the uh, people I've met at IML. Uh, names like Race Bannon and Daddy Doc Duran mm-hmm. all uh, are friends of mine, and they I've been looking up to them for years. So let, let let's kind of go into. I mean, <laughs> you're kind of leading into it, and I'm getting excited uh, about you going to IML and and uh, these other leather events once you won your title. Um, can we talk about some kinks and fetishes of yours? Sure. <laughs> I mean, first of all, do you have any fun sex stories from any of those trips? Yes. Can uh, I hear what? <laughs> I, one year, I actually got to play at IML in the hotel. Ooh. Yes. I was invited up to Daddy Doc's room with his boy who didn't know my sick sense of humor. <laughs> he now knows my sick sense of humor. The scene, which was very wonderful... And Rene needed to practice flogging. So I was the flogging bottom. Mm. So I ended up naked on the bed, tied down, blindfolded. And Daddy Doc's on my right, Ren's on my left. And they each took turns. So after, if Daddy Doc hit me, then Rene would hit me. So at the end of it, he says, because they knew what time I needed to start my shift. So when they started winding down, they said, okay, five more, harder, and we're done. And of course, five more means five on each side. Uh-huh. So they do that. I lied. 25, <laughs> 25 more. So 25 even harder ones. And I recuperate from that. And of course, Renee's kneeling on the bed beside me. So when I recuperate, I lift my head and look towards Daddy Doc. And I said to him, but Daddy, I told you I wouldn't run away. Renee falls off the bed. <laughs> Richard, you always gotta do <laughs> You crack me up. <laughs> wow though, that's really hot that there were like on two men on either side of you just like going at it. Yep. I love yes. that. Oh, so did I. <laughs> Felt like the baby and dinosaur. I can't <laughs> Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> Um, okay, before I, I dive more deeper into your, your other details okay. of your kinks, are, are there any other sexy stories that you want to share with us? Um, one of the other groups I'm with is Delta International. It's a BDSM club. 
that is around Philly. And there are members from all over the world. And usually during the Labor Day weekend, I would be there. But this year again, <laughs> yeah, not out. So one time, one of my club brothers at Claw decided to do an introduction to needleplay. Mm-hmm. And of course, I never thought I'd be into needleplay with all the medical stuff I've been involved with. Uh, but there I am, lying in a crowded dungeon space. And, uh, you know, it's the second time doing it. The other one, I had about 12 in it, but he was doing this. the second one. I'm lying on my back on the table. The second needle's going in, and I'm going, oh, it's all coming back to me now. My friend Matt decides to scream at the top of his lungs, pass me more needles, the Canadian's channeling Celine Dion. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, we ended, up, we ended up with 30 needles that time. It was wonderful. Wow. <laughs> so you're, you're into needles. Mm-hmm. Wow, and you're into flock. What are, what are some other kinks that you're into? Uh, I'm a fisting top. I'm not sure if I could be a fisting bottom simply because sitting all the time mm. that area has lost its elasticity so i mean skin... wouldn't that make you a prime candidate if you it's like always relaxed and everything no it means the skin is thin and it'll tear <laughs> oh okay i get i see it out okay that makes yeah. sense yes ha- have you ever tried fisting as a bottom no okay Toy- toys yes and i enjoy the toys but not not as a fisting bottom i see okay uh, so fisting top, yes. Yeah. Check. Uh, <laughs> Sir Mark was teaching me the ins and outs of fisting on Boy Connor one time. And so he was showing me the different techniques of if you wiggle your thumb this way while it's in there, you're massaging the prostate and stuff like this. So after we finish, we're doing the aftercare and I'm cuddling on the bed with uh, Connor. We're hugging, and he whispers in my ear, Don't tell Sir Mark your hands are bigger than his. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) If Sir Mark is listening. (laughs) Oh, he he heard it, and he laughed. He laughed. (laughs) Wow, that is so cool. And I thought with my arthritis and stuff, that I wouldn't be able to do it. But the fact that once your hand is inside, Mm -hmm. the heat of the body feels so good on your arthritis. Oh my God. (laughs) So you recommend it for people suffering from arthritis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Great. Here's a prescription. Get this filled. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. You cracked me up. Okay. So needles, fisting, flogging. Oh my. What? Anything else? Um, I have seen sounds and I'm interested in it. And one thing that I'm, some of the events, uh, there was an event called Sexapalooza here in Ottawa that you'd try different things. And a friend of mine always had uh, his electric play thing and would always reach out with the ground in his hand and zap people. So it would be a startling thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it wasn't very pleasant for me because it was always a shock literally Mm -hmm. i wasn't expecting anything but i have again at delta tried electro stim around the genitals and it was on low and it was just to feel it and stuff like that and it felt wonderful and this year i was going to go the next level and go the next level and (laughs) tell me about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I keep telling my friends when this is over that I will be tied the first person who pats me on the back. They better stand back. It's going to get messy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're talking about sounding. So would, would you consider possibly doing like a low voltage e-stim on the sound? Uh, that is an option. Uh, mm. But again, I'm always learning new things. And I know the basics of sounding. Mm -hmm. I know the basics of Eastim, but to try to put them together, I, I don't feel comfortable doing it either alone or I always need someone who's more experienced than me with me. Yeah. You would probably want someone who does that. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. And going to the different events is where the opportunities present themselves. A lot of the best play sessions I have happen to be spontaneous ones. Like at Delta, you're going through the dungeon, all of a sudden someone's having, a, they're in a sleep sack and they're doing sensory deprivation and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And we had this one guy and he kept waving all these other people over. This guy, guy was floating for about two hours. And after when he, we got him down from his subspace, he says, how many people were, do you think were on you? And he said, well, um, maybe four. There were nine people on him. And he was just happy, wow. happy, happy sub, happy sub. <laughs> <laughs> so w would you consider yourself more of a, a dominant type or a subtype or, or do you switch? Um, I classify myself as a switch, but I do have more dom tendencies. Okay. A lot of it has to do with the chemistry of the people I'm with. Because the first time I was flogged at Claw by Matt, it was a two-hour session, and there's a photo in the gallery at IML for the opening ceremonies. Martin Grimm, Mr. Bavarian Leather, was giving me a shoulder rub, and he leans over, and in his broken English, he says, you feel like coat hanger. <laughs> <laughs> because pushing the chair all the time, all my tension goes in my shoulders. Oh, okay. So after the two-hour flogging of Thud and Sting, it was so therapeutic, it took two months for my shoulders to tighten back up again. Wow. It seems like you have a connection with therapy and, and kink. <laughs> yeah, I've, my friends have told me I need a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Therapy for arthritis and fisting, and then mm -hmm. the, now this with the shoulders and the yeah. flogging. <laughs> Just before Christmas, I got a new wheelchair. So I'm in now in a red one. The photos I'll be sending you, I'm in a gray steel one. Titanium. It's raw titanium chair. It's lightweight, but it's very strong. But... Uh, I have a new back and it's more lower bucket seat okay. and the wheelchair specialists are saying, well, when you're sitting in it, you'll be more stable. And I'm telling uh, my friends at the AIDS committee of Ottawa this, and uh, they're going, Richard, you're not stable. I said, you know that I know that <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> I, lo I love it, your sense of humor. I think that some of the best experiences I've had have had, some kind of humor tied to it. Those are the most memorable, even sexual experiences. Yes, and my sense of humor is very dry. Uh, at IML, I said, you know, I'm not going to win it. I wanted to do the best I can. Mm -hmm. And out of the 62 contestants from 17 countries my year, 
the youngest I think was 24 and the oldest was 68. Mm -hmm. So there was a large, diverse group of people, including two straight men and one closeted straight man. That we found out after. <laughs> There's closeted straight men. <laughs> it's a very long story. <laughs> you know, it just reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen Friends. Have you seen that show, Friends? I, I have. So there's this scene where there's this guy who is straight, but he doesn't want to tell his parents because his parents are gay and raised him in like a gay culture. And he's like mm-hmm. saying like, I just want to be normal to to this girl that's like in, in love with him. And she's like, it's normal to like girls. It's okay. Like you can like girls because she's like all into him. And yeah. he's like, it's just so funny. It was like a whole reverse um, stereotype there. But yeah. That's so funny. You'll you'll have to um, fill me in on the Zoom party later about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. The one of the things is that I, you know, I wanted to have the best experience uh, with the camaraderie of the class, and mm. I did that. And out of the sixty-two, I made top twenty and became was tenth place tenth overall. I was extremely happy with my placement. Uh, mm. And of course, during your interview you're all presented, you all leave, and then the first one goes in when the judges are ready, and one by one you go through, and then when they're finished with everyone, there's a photo op of your group that the judges mm-hmm. can take along with the IML photographer. And so the the head judge is going, okay, tall people in the back, short people in the front. <laughs> I'm 5'11". We know smartass get in the front. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you had a good time, though. I did. (laughs) Uh, One of my judges here in Ottawa happened to be a handler at IML, Lady Carol. And I happened to make it to MAL, and she came up to me and said, well, sorry, I can't be your handler. Something's come up. And I go, I'm going, whatever, sure, that's, that's fine. Then the announcements of the judges come, and I knew three of the judges. Oh, wow. Ian Black from Toronto, Lady Carol from now who lives in Florida, and Frank Nowicki from Washington. <laughs> okay. So the rest, like, not that I didn't care about them, but I knew I had a good rapport with them. Yeah, so it makes I, you feel a little bit more comfortable. I was more relaxed. Yeah. Because I had one of the judge. I happened to be outside the front of the Congress Hotel, and the, they they knew I was coming two days after I won to the point where ramps were included because everything was in the Regency Hotel that year. So the Grand Ballroom had a stage with ramps on either side. It was wonderful. The green room was just across the hall and it was it was really good. And every year since, the ramps have stayed. That's really awesome. Yes. The fact that my position, because everyone was coming up from the side, with the parade of colors uh i was waiting during the opening ceremonies under one of the large screens and uh when chuck rinslow told me ahead of time oh i hope you're not mad that you're in the opening ceremonies my opening speech Mm -hmm. oh okay (laughs) uh he said that in years past they've had people of color deaf amputees but it's taken 30 years for a man to roll across this stage. Hmm. And I have two years after that, 
for IML32 was the year Tyler McCormick won, mm-hmm. who was a wheelchair user. And last year, uh, Laurent, Mr. Leather France, is also a wheelchair user. Wow. So, so it, it seems like they did a lot of growing. They have. They have, yes. Uh, the whole experience for me was very overwhelming. They first tell you when you're competing to turn on the recorder in your mind and just let it play the whole weekend so that over time you can recall things because it'll go by very fast. And it did, especially because in our year they did the documentary King Crusaders. Mm. So besides my interview, I'm being interviewed by the TV crew. They followed me around the Leather Mart when I went around, and it was funny. I've, I've got a copy of King Crusaders about six years ago in Toronto. I found a copy and happened to watch it with my mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, oh, Deb. <laughs> yeah, the scene, the scene of them going by the medical display case, and there's this glass case with all these instruments on it, and they happen to have a cow speculum sitting on top of the case and my mom's going oh my god where do they put that i said well the normal places <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you in this documentary yes wow they they interviewed the, the current iml at the time was um, mike Gurley. Mm-hmm. he was the iml 29 uh they interviewed chuck guy baldwin myself oh i've forgotten his name he was Mr. Leather Germany. Uh, they interviewed Tiger Yoshi. He was in my class. And there was a few others that they interviewed, plus all the other footage of the event. And it was, I, I enjoyed it. I, it was, I was able to see things that I hadn't actually seen because I was busy mm-hmm. most of the time. So I, I really like it. And then every once in a while, I'll rewatch it again. When you watch it back, do you ever like, do you ever think like, oh my God, I can't believe that I did all of that? Well, yes, only because I go back every year to work at IML for the uh, IML 31. Karen was the judges coordinator and I was her assistant that year. And then for four years, I did security for the uh, tally masters and worked with John Crowengard. And then I became a handler five years ago. So I've been with the handlers ever since. But I was outside with friends in front of the Regency one time. And these three young kids came up to me and said, Richard, I said, yes. Hmm. They said, oh, we're here because of you. We saw you in Kink Crusaders. And, wow. you know, and so I came home from IML going, mom, I've got groupies. You know? You know, Richard, that again, this is the second time you've given me chills. Just you saying that. Yeah. Wow. What an influence you've had on so many people. I'm sure you will not know. And it's not, I'm not finished because a few years later, mm-hmm. one of the three young boys was Mr. Michigan Leather 2017, mm-hmm. Ken Kennedy. Oh my God. So i inspired him or i'm the reason he ran for his title so i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow richard (laughs) i've never gotten shows three times thrice in an interview before but you just did that i how incredible that you were inspired by seeing someone up there on that stage and 
God only knows how many other people you've inspired along the way. And that that's why now I try to inspire as many people because I had no idea. And during my step down the following year, mm -hmm. I mentioned to our community that just showing up, you can inspire someone who doesn't believe in themselves like I didn't. And I told them the story of how I was inspired and in meeting Captain Kirk and his boy. And, you know, I finished the line off by saying, if, if you think Leatherman don't cry, I have the answer to that one. Because mm -hmm. we did. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I just mm. think it's so incredible that you know, you could have stayed in your corner and you could have continued working in the background and that all would have been fine and great, but you took that leap of faith to go out there and, and do this for uh -huh. yourself and look where it's gotten you. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like evil can evil and what's the, what's the worst thing could happen and I can break my back yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I have to ask, um, you know, for those listening to your episode right now, thinking you know having second thoughts about oh, should i run for this should i run for that i don't know if i'm good enough for this or good enough for that I, what would be your advice to those people who are thinking of running for a title or new to kink sorry or just you know even just scared to come into kink or explore their new horizons um you know one of the one of the things i've done that's even brought me out of my shell and my leather families helped me move this because I used to be the wallflower that sat on the side, even looking with Sir Mark and Connor, watching him from a distance doing his chain mail and stuff. And I was so quiet and they thought I didn't like them, but I was just too shy. Mm -hmm. And now he couldn't get me to shut up if he tried. <laughs> so he called them the quiet years. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I now have a kink and disability workshop that I've done and need to modify it a little bit now because I've learned more about any kink can be modified. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Lady Caro from Florida, her standing now isn't long term, isn't the best and her shoulders giving out on her and but she still loves to throw her whip. So mm -hmm. she now does it from a sitting position and she's learned how to, she's modified it to throw from the side hmm. with quite great accuracy. And her, uh, her boy loves it. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, I do want, cause you have mentioned this, this group that your organization, you're a part of rather uh, several times that the Knights, can you tell us a little bit about the Knights? Mm -hmm. The Knights were formed in 1975 here in Ottawa. It started as a leather denim group. A lot of them had motorcycles, some didn't. Mm -hmm. And it became a full leather club and now has transitioned about six or seven years ago that we now have members who are trans and we have a married couple, a straight couple who are in the pan community who are members of our club. Mm -hmm. So what, what do the Knights, I mean, did the Knights have like some kind of mission or? or... Yeah. Uh, yes, we we do fundraising for uh, a lot of the AIDS committee organizations here. There's Bruce House, which is a, was an AIDS hospice, and now they have an apartment complex that we raise money for for them for. There's the AIDS Committee of Ottawa, 
which is the resource center for people living with HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. For MLO, the previous title holder gets to say who the beneficiary of that year's money goes to. We've had the Maine Society, we've had the Cancer Society. The other major thing that we do is for Christmas, our annual Toys for Tots drive. We did our first one in 1975 and went to the Salvation Army to give them the toys and the money. And they refused us because we were a gay organization. Wow. So we went outside the city to Lanark. So the Lanark Children's Aid Society has been the beneficiary for our annual Toys for Tots drive, which we've had for 26 years now. Mm-hmm. And our bar night, it's so much fun seeing all these Leathermen, these big butch Leathermen and their giant teddy bears. And <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> so what attracted you to this group initially? And why would somebody want to join now today? Um, the three things is uh, honor, respect, and education mm-hmm. are the three things we go by. So we educate the community on leather and kink. We, we hold events and the fundraisers. So there's different things. We have fun things, uh, socials, and uh, annually we try to go to uh, Rockport. One of our past title holders has um, a venue called The Barn, and it literally was an old barn that he converted into a wedding space. And we camp out there and have a weekend of it. And, you know, and things like this. So there's socializing and camaraderie mm-hmm. that way too. So so really you're saying if you're interested in some sense of brotherhood and, and a sense of um, community and, and service, then this is kind of the place for you. Yes. Got it, got it. Uh, so Richard, are there any other organizations besides the Knights that you're a part of? Yes, I am one of the administrators on Facebook for the Gear 365 Men's Discussion Group. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I'm a volunteer at the AIDS Committee of Ottawa. I am the vice president for the Daily Housing Cooperative, which is the housing co-op I live in. I was a community vice chair for the Ottawa Police GLBT Liaison Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just stepped down last year from the Ottawa Independent Living Resource Center after 20 years. Oh my God. And when are you running for governor? I mean, God, you're involved in so many things. Well, uh, I have a background in some finance and administration, so I have quite a few skills that are needed out there. So That's really awesome. Well, before we get wrapped up here, um, how can we reach out to you? How can we get connected with you or the organizations that you're a part of? On social media, I'm on Facebook, uh, and it's Richard Hubley. And on Recon, I am under the tag of Rolling Bear. Mm-hmm. And email is rollingnight at rogers.com. And that's a night with a K. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And if we wanted to get involved with the Knights or, or learn more about them, how can we reach out to them? on their Facebook page. We're trying to revamp our our website so it's not as updated as it could be. Okay, okay. So we'll find you on Facebook and get connected through there. Yes. Awesome. Richard, do you have any last statements you'd like to make to our audience before we uh, say goodbye? Uh, Just have fun, play safe, and for the Americans, vote. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, please. Go. <laughs> I have no idea when this is being. This will be after the thing, so you can probably edit that this. Out. This might yeah. be if this is after. Um, it will be in hindsight, but yes, please go yes. vote. Yeah, or thank you for voting, and yeah. So it's just open your wings and fly. Well, thank you so much, Richard, again for coming on the show. It was really incredible to listen to your story, and I really hope that. Uh, listeners out there were influenced and touched by everything that you in your story that came out today. I think it was really incredible. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to be touched. <laughs> God damn it, Richard. <laughs> well, anyways, you guys, as always, don't forget to check out the very many outreach programs we have available to us here in the Los Angeles area. The LA Leather COVID-19 Assist, Boulevard Pantry and LELC Cares are all ways that you can get assistance during these trying times of COVID-19. I will, of course, have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and for God's sakes, stay kinky. Stay kinky.